0: You can now get two free audiobook downloads and a 30-day free trial at audible.bogosity.tv, your choice from the world's largest selection of over 180,000 digital audiobooks and spoken word content for your iOS or Android device, Kindle, or MP3 player. Go to audible.bogosity.tv now. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of February 25th, 2018. The podcast that's tongue tied and twisted, just an earthbound misfit. This is your host, Shane Killian, and returning this week is Charles Thomas. Welcome back, Charlie.
1: Ah, it's been a while, but I am here once again, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy my dulcet tones.
0: Let's refoliate the news of the bogus. So if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned the best way to do unhackable voting was a paper ballot. I'm far from the only one. I mean, I'm just going along with what every security expert ever said. At least everyone outside the government.
1: Of course, because again, you know, you want competency, you have to outsource away from government. You know, the old saying, work smarter, not harder. The government says, work dumber and work harder at the same time
0: but at least this is changing at least uh former people in government michael chertoff secretary of homeland security from 2005 to 2009 together with grover norquist founder of americans for tax reform have made this case in a washington post article even after being notified that hackers had targeted election systems in 21 states in 2016 Congress still has not passed any meaningful legislation on cybersecurity, and the Trump administration is still worried about government not being able to spy on encrypted communications.
1: It's about power, machine. Well,
0: so far, no hacker has been able to alter the outcome of any U.S. election, as we said two weeks ago. They're just too decentralized. Different precincts are doing things their own way. But we also talked about how they found out at Def CON that every single voting machine from every single company had serious flaws that would allow a hacker, even one who didn't know anything about voting machines, to compromise them in a matter of hours, if not minutes.
1: Yeah, there was an HBO documentary about this years ago. What did the government do, did about it? any type of uh, huge outrage? Nothing. They continue using these same voting machines. At the end of the day, if the best way to do it is a paper ballot, then why don't we just go to a paper ballot? Not everything needs to be digitized and uh, prone to uh, being hacked or whatever.
0: And that's what Chertoff and Norquist are saying, that the easy fix here is paper ballots. And in fact, Mark Meadows, chair of the House Freedom Caucus, introduced the Paper Act to help states replace insecure electronic systems with proven and reliable paper records. It's already been endorsed by Trump, so that's good. And the Brennan Center for Justice estimates that the conversion will cost no more than a single F-22 fighter jet, and the bill also offsets any new spending. Now, it isn't a federal mandate because that would be unconstitutional, but it does provide guidelines for states and localities as well as aid in switching over, which would be a good thing because your local Podunk precinct down the road is no match for China or North Korea if they get a mind to meddle in our elections. Yeah. So we'll have to see if this goes anywhere.
1: Here's hoping. <laughs>
0: Say, if you're tired of the promos in this podcast, well, the patrons got it early and with no ads or promos. Just go to Tv and donate at any level. Do you have children? Or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling? Or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? The move among the Canadian movie and television industry to institute continent-wide blocks of so-called pirate sites is chilling. As University of Ottawa law professor Michael Geist points out, today they're going after the pirate sites, tomorrow, he says, it'll be VPNs and other services.
1: Yay, so everyone could be targeted. That always works.
0: A coalition of Canadian media companies called upon regulators to establish the first pirate site blocking program in North America, something that's backed by copyright holders and the telco industry, which is often the same thing, if you've noticed. But hardly anyone else wants it. Tens of thousands of people have protested the proposal, and many experts, not just Geist, are warning about the chilling effects it could have. Geist says they're downplaying the problem of overblocking? while the very report they cite lists 23,000 so-called pirate sites, most of which do not rise to meet the blocking standard. And it includes sites dedicated to user-generated subtitles, as well as stream-ripping tools.
1: We will do anything to uh, stop the evils of piracy, even though it hasn't done anything, damage any type of entertainment medium and such, because again, facts don't matter. Piracy bad, so we need more government. Interference that will screw up multiple innocent websites, destroy VPNs. You know, because then again, that's what government does. They give them an inch, they'll take the whole goddamn mile. And we've talked about the subtitles
0: thing before. In fact, I think that might have been one you were on, Charlie, where we were talking about how if you have a hearing impaired person who speaks a different language and they don't have subtitles for it, then he can go onto one of these sites, get subtitles in his language, and watch it, so it's great for accessibility. Well, you know, again, they want to shut them down. And as far as the stream-ripping tools, Geist said, quote, "...stream-ripping is a concern for the music industry, but these technologies, which are also found in readily available software programs from a local Best Buy..." Who buys software from Best Buy anymore? "...also have considerable non-infringing uses, such as for downloading Creative Commons-licensed videos also found on video sites." like the ones on my channel, your erstwhile host hastens to add. And he also warned that this could also be targeted against VPN services, and we've covered how the industry has successfully put pressure on Netflix and Hulu not to accept VPN connections, which is it's really hell when you're traveling, I gotta say, because every time I want to watch Netflix, I gotta tear down... My VPN, and it's like, but I'm in a hotel. I don't trust these other people in this hotel. I don't trust this network. I don't want to open up my network.
1: They went a little bit. They get a little bit more and more and more. They screw it up, and even better, people will say, "Oh, well, the government messed me." Well, we made this mess, so uh, we'll try to fix it. And every ensuing fix will make the problem worse and worse and worse.
0: And I mean, here we are trying to cover up for the huge mistake they made when they created the internet. That's not just me saying this. Vint Cerf, the father of the internet, says this. they screwed up by not allowing for an encryption layer when they uh, created the internet. And so VPNs are just one way of doing this. And there's also other things like DNS Crypt and other proposals to secure our DNS lookups. But I mean, the industry really doesn't like these things because they're a very reliable way around the blockades. Governments don't like them either because you can get around the geo blocks that way. Well, yeah,
1: I like the fact that, like, you know, we'll just lowjack everybody, even though you know, they can't possibly and follow every single person. They just want to have that type of power, and you know, they won't stop until someone says no, enough.
0: Judge Catherine Forrest is notorious, at least among listeners of this podcast and the Liberty community at large, for being the judge that sentenced Ross Ulbricht to two life sentences for running a website the government couldn't control. Actually, the last time we talked about her, we had some good things to say. But, as I recall, we figured it wouldn't be long before we had to throw brickbats at her again, and we weren't wrong. Right on the heels of a court laughing Playboy's ridiculous lawsuit out of court because linking isn't copyright infringement, Judge Forrest has ruled on a different case that simply embedding content is infringing, even if the site isn't hosting the content at all.
1: Wait, so you're basically saying that someone embedded some video? Yeah, or a tweet in this case. A tweet? That equals copyright infringement? Yep. Uh, no. No. That is, you know, that that doesn't make any sense. Well, like
0: with the Silk Road case, we're seeing that her understanding of technology is even more pathetic than her understanding of the Constitution.
1: Oh, joy.
0: So what happened was a Snapchatter named Justin Goldman took a picture of quarterback Tom Brady, put it on Twitter. The photo went viral and a bunch of news sites embedded the tweet along with the pic, as they do, you know? Mm hmm. Well, Goldman decided to sue basically everybody, even though multiple different courts have said that this isn't in any way infringing. To tell if it is, you apply what's called the server test. In other words, you ask if the site is hosting the image itself. The server doesn't, nor does it receive the image. It's not receiving the image from Twitter and passing it on to you. Your browser makes a separate connection to Twitter and gets the image directly from them. And there's no reason why it should be on the website to understand every single tweet if something's copyrighted or not. It's just ridiculous.
1: And this makes it even worse. So a picture of a person is a copyright infringement now? I mean, if someone took a picture of a famous person, um, you know, in, in public was this picture done in public i mean if it was i mean there's no real copyright or privacy concern no
0: you you still have because you have you have two kinds of copyright with a picture you have the ownership of the subject and the ownership of the picture itself now this tom brady guy he owns his own likeness but he is a public figure so i mean he's pretty much fair game there you know that's how the paparazzi do their thing but the photographer still, uh, even even if it's in public, the photographer still owns the photograph. So, I mean, if a news website did take a copy of the picture and put it in their news story, he could say, hey, wait a minute, that's my picture. You know, you need to pay me for it. And that's why you also see underneath the picture, it'll say photo by, you know, such and such, Justin Goldman or whoever, because they're giving credit to the photographer. So you still own the picture, but in this case... It's not even Twitter this door. He did it. He put it up in a tweet, and then other people are just embedding the tweet, and now he's
1: complaining about it. So he put it out in public, and now he's pissed off it's even more public? He just wants money. But once again, Judge
0: Forrest decided to ignore precedent and actually relied on the hideous looks-like-a-duck test from the Aereo case we talked about. And I warned you, that would come back to bite people. Her argument is basically that since she can't tell the difference between an embedded tweet and an image hosted on the server, then there isn't any difference at all.
1: That's just silly.
0: (laughs) And she even acknowledged that the image never touches the site's server, but said it still counts and directly cited the Aereo ruling, which basically said that Aereo was a cable company because it kind of looked like one to them. The EXTREME and LEGALLY RELEVANT TECHNICAL DIFFERENCES NOTWITHSTANDING, as ruled, QUOTE, At heart, the Court's holding eschewed the notion that Aereo should be absolved of liability based upon purely technical distinctions. In the end, Aereo was held to have transmitted the performances, despite its argument that it was the user clicking a button, and not any volitional act of Aereo itself that did the performing. The language the Court used there to describe INVISIBLE TECHNOLOGICAL DETAILS applies equally well here. This difference means nothing to the subscriber. It means nothing to the broadcaster. We do not see how this single difference, invisible to subscriber and broadcaster alike, could transform a system that is, for all practical purposes, a traditional cable system into a copy shop that provides patrons with a library card. Now, see, all of you people who kept saying I was being ridiculous that this insane
1: tests wouldn't be applied to other cases, you are wrong! It will. I mean, there's always going to be precedent for any type of decision. I mean, people have this assumption, oh, this is a silly case, it won't come back. Trust me, if the court decides on the silly stuff, it will be used as precedent.
0: And it's not as if Forrest is unaware of the server test. She is, and specifically argues against it. Quote, this court finds no indication in the text or legislative history of the act that possessing a copy of an infringing image is a prerequisite to displaying it. Uh, how about the laws of physics?
1: <sighs>
0: Can we look at that? Can that come into the equation at some point? Quote, the Ninth Circuit's analysis hinged, however, on making a copy of the image to be displayed, which copy would be stored on the server. The Copyright Act, however, provides several clues that this is not what was intended. Oh, she's Sherlock Holmes digging for clues. Hey, Forrest, Sherlock specifically said that you do not start with a conclusion and look for clues to confirm it. That's doing it backwards.
1: Yeah. He says, well, guilt ends after my investigation, he doesn't assume anything. Yeah. He never assumes anything.
0: And it's not like you stumble around looking for clues until you come to a conclusion. You start with a universe of possible conclusions, and then you start ruling out the ones that are impossible, and then whatever's left, once you get down to that one that's left, that must be it.
1: Yeah, it's a process of illumination. Yeah.
0: And I mean, people look at that, they call it the Holmesian fallacy, you know, uh once you've eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however, improbable must be the truth. And people say, well, no, because A, you can't be sure you've thought of every possibility to begin with. B, you can't be sure you didn't make a mistake when you were ruling something out. But I think if you look in the context of what Arthur Conan Doyle was writing, keeping in mind that he was doing this in the 19th century, what he was saying was you shouldn't be trying to confirm a conclusion, you should be trying to falsify conclusions to get them out of the way, so he was ahead of Karl Popper on that one. I mean, it would have been nice if he had gotten it better, but hey, it was 19th century, so, you know, give the guy a break. Quote, in several distinct parts of the Act, it contemplates infringers who would not be in possession of copies, for example in Section Blah Blah Blah, which exempts small commercial establishments whose proprietors merely bring onto their premises standard radio or television equipment and turn it on for their customers' enjoyment from liability. H.R. Blah Blah Blah. That these establishments require an exemption, despite the fact that to turn on the radio or television is not to make or store a copy, is strong evidence that a copy need not be made in order to display an image. But but that's an incredibly different thing! Those establishments are showing the work. The content is on their premises. That is not the case with these news sites. This would be more like, you know, someone out on the street is listening to a boombox, the music leaks in. And so you go to the proprietor and said, aha, you know, the audio got onto your premises, so we need to see you for that. He wasn't the one doing that. Even more bizarre, quote, the role of the user was paramount in the Perfect 10 case. The district court found that users who view the full-size images after clicking on one of the thumbnails are engaged in a direct connection with third-party websites which are themselves responsible for transferring content. Yeah, that's the user taking the action, which makes the user responsible. The user is making a connection with the third-party website. The third-party website is responsible, not the publisher, not the first-party website. I mean, did she not even think through her own ruling?
1: No, I guess she didn't.
0: And as I warned people about the Aereo case, this could have massive ramifications for the internet. Judge Forrest is proving this right here. Here's hoping that some other judge will shoot this down for the crap that it is, and maybe someday we can get a better Supreme Court that'll overturn Aereo also. And now it's time to lock and load our sarcasatron Collider for this week's Biggest Bogan Emitter. And this week it goes to every town for gun safety, and subscribers to my YouTube channel have seen me go after them on multiple occasions, like when they showed themselves so ignorant of guns that they depicted a gun as firing the entire cartridge.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Or even worse, when they deliberately lied about a news story where a would-be thief was shot in the heel and wounded. But they turned it into shot seven times, killing him.
1: Again, uh, just the people will do anything to fit their narrative, you know.
0: But they've really outdone themselves now with the claim that the recent tragedy in Florida is the 18th school shooting this year—a lie repeated by CNBC, Politico, The Washington Post, ABC,
1: and many others. And the worst thing about this—if you point this out—you are looked at as a gunner, homosexual, which I just. I don't even know what that type of thing know, When you point out some facts, oh, you just want kids being killed. No. If you want to do it right, don't fall into propaganda that people will use and manipulate you. And sadly, a lot of people who are going to be manipulated by this BS.
0: Now, at least USA Today and the Washington Post retracted the article. In fact, USA Today wasn't very polite about their retraction. They said, quote, Every town for gun safety, the gun control advocacy group responsible for spreading this bogus statistic, should be ashamed of its blatant dishonesty. And a little later, they refer to it as, quote, propaganda.
1: It is propaganda.
0: Yeah, complete propaganda. Now, PolitiFact looked at this as well, and they rated their claim mostly false. Their incidents include many that took place at colleges and universities, not primary or secondary schools, which is most people think of when you think of a school shooting, It also includes unintentional discharges where no one was injured or killed, a couple of suicides, a man who committed suicide in the parking lot of a school that had been closed down for months, and even cases where gunshots happened merely within earshot of a school. That's
1: stretching it.
0: Now, nine of these resulted in no deaths or injuries at all man we have some of the safest school shootings in the world
1: yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course there's the inevitable comparison to other countries but as politifact points out they're not controlling for population yes yeah and i do have to throw one small brick bat at politifact here i've got another to throw at him a little later but they do say While part of this is because the United States has a much bigger population than all but China, the difference can't be explained by skewed population numbers alone. But as I've shown, what you're left with is not statistically significant. I mean, one single incident causes Norway to go from the bottom of the list to number one when you control for population because they only have, like, five million people or so. But if you have a single incident, making that much of a difference in the ranking that's not significant there just aren't enough of these this is a rare freak occurrence it gets reported a lot but you know
1: yeah it's a great way to report these things think about it it's a way to um you know fill in the gaps of uh of these troy flower news cycles a former president back in the 90s actually um instituted police officers to have better equipment and the uh, military grade equipment uh and also it's the three strike rule that basically really harmed and uh, destroyed a lot of black families who was the president during that time <laughs> during the mid-90s i had that i wonder had
0: the, to be a republican
1: yeah <laughs> um, and the wife of that person actually called the criminal element, uh, super predators and such. I wonder who, yeah. who said that? I I just don't know who, who was it? Well, um, it
0: couldn't mm. have been a nice, non-racist, peace-loving Democrat. They would never do anything like that.
1: Oh, no, no, they're, they're the salt of the earth. They are so pure.
0: So PolitiFact talks about the bogus claim of TV journalist Jeff Greenfield, quote, that there have only been 18 school shootings in the rest of the world over the past 20 years, Greenfield told us he couldn't recall the source of that information, adding, Yes, I cop to insufficient research. Greenfield removed his tweet within 24 hours of posting it. So that's good. Good, good on political fact on that. But now I got to throw another brickbat at them. They say that out of the 18, only three constitute a mass shooting. But it's infuriating how this definition of mass shooting keeps changing depending on the story whoever it is wants to tell. I mean, look at the comments on my videos, comments on other videos, look at articles, look at, you know, experts putting statistics together. And there's all sorts of claims all over the place with many different sources cited. And the only one that has any consistency to it at all are the ones who say that a mass shooting is when four or more people are killed. That's the criteria Mother Jones used to try and claim that armed citizens didn't have any effect on mass shootings because they listed all of those and none of them were stopped by an armed person because the armed person prevents it before the death toll gets that high. Yeah.
1: Again, it's that selective journalism.
0: Yeah. But by that definition, four or more people killed, the Florida shooting is the only school shooting so far
1: this year oh yeah and by the way i want to say this the um supposed protectors the fbi had countless crimes and countless uh situations same with elliot roger same with all those other people who did that type of stuff is you know they have the evidence right in front of them yeah Well, well he had committed several
0: acts before police have been called in like 36 times over the last seven years if he had been charged Even for one of those, he would have had a criminal record and would have failed a background check. I mean, the problem here is not lack of gun regulations. The regulations needed to prevent it were right there, and they didn't work. And he had also made many posts on social media under his real name, saying he was going to shoot up his old school. The FBI knew about it and did nothing because they were too busy chasing Russian conspiracies. (sighs) I mean, every piece was in place for them to find this guy and prevent it. Everything was there, and they
1: failed. Exactly. And there's so many other cases like that. If they were on their game, we wouldn't be in this situation. It's just this incompetence. All this money we spend on law enforcement and everything else, and yet they still can't catch people, even when it's basically staring them right in the face. They still won't catch them.
0: But what if just one teacher at the right position in that school, have been armed.
1: Oh, yeah, I, I don't agree with that type of thing. Why not? I uh, Teachers already got too much stuff, plate, to deal with. They got a lot of stuff on their plate.
0: Well, I wouldn't say force them to carry a gun, but, I mean, if they already know how to shoot and they can show they've gone through a training and they want to... If they want to, you know, fine. Well, why not let them? If they want yeah.
1: to. If it, it should not be forced. It should not be mandatory.
0: No, no, I wouldn't force them to do it, no.
1: Okay, but i would that's to me it's like the last last resort i think we should have just have like something less more of of a prison type of situation of uh of schools and everything that's just me well the prison type of situation
0: is what we have now with you know police being around there were like something like four police officers outside the school that just sat there and did nothing while all this was happening
1: yeah yeah i agree with that again failure of the uh state
0: so i mean who's gonna do it and who are you gonna trust to do it and i mean if you think about it of all the people in your child's school if you can't trust the teacher you need to put the child in a different school or
1: teach them sell, which i think you know homeschooling has proven it basically done better but you know what the funny thing is i actually watched some of the cnn uh, town hall stuff afterwards and when they had the sheriff on he said he wanted to basically like if he had his way he would basically start taking people down for, like, mental illness with his discretion. I'm like, wait, you've got calls, you got everything handed to you on a silver platter, you still can get after it, but yet you want more power now.
0: Yeah. Uh, government cannot stop that. Most shootings take, like, less than three minutes, even the ones that have, like, you know, 20 people killed or something. They're over in less than three minutes. Typical response time is, like, five to eight minutes if you're lucky. You know, there's no way that the government, even if everyone in government were a completely good actor and were really dedicated to doing his job, they still couldn't do it. But if you have someone on the premises who is there in the classroom at the time and is charged with the safety of the students, like all teachers are, and you've got a few of those teachers who, you know, have guns like guns and have work with the school to demonstrate, you know, whatever they need to demonstrate for the school to say, okay, yeah, it's safe for you to have a gun. You can have your gun. And you have a couple of them in there, you know, a couple of these shooters taken down by armed teachers. I wonder how quickly you'd see school shootings dry up at that point.
1: Maybe a little of that, but also a little more actual parenting instead of actual
0: yeah but a school isn't in a position to do anything about that
1: no no but the, yeah but parents expect the, the school to parent their kids yeah that's the sad part is because you don't parent that most kids don't go have parenting they they, get, they let the state parent in them and i'm like no wonder they're all screwed up <laughs> yeah but yeah i think this whole situation could have been prevented but again government incompetence one of the most consistent things out there, ladies and gentlemen. Government can and will let you down and it will destroy many lives because of that.
0: So all of that makes Every Town for Gun Safety this week's biggest bogon emitter. If you're going to shop online, use our special links to shop at Amazon. Clear your cookies and go to Amazon.pagosity.tv, and you won't pay a penny more for your purchase. If you haven't used the mobile app in the last 12 months, or even at all, go to get5.bogosity.tv on your phone or tablet and get $5 off your order of $10 or more. Go to prime.bogosity.tv for a free 30-day trial of Amazon Prime and enjoy thousands of movies and TV episodes. Borrow Kindle books and get unlimited two-day shipping for free. And speaking of Kindle, go to kindle.bogosity.tv for a 30-day free trial to Kindle Unlimited. Read over 1 million books and listen to thousands of audiobooks on any device. You can go to music.bogosity.tv and get a free 30-day trial of Amazon Music Unlimited with access to Amazon's entire library of 10 million songs, ad-free and with unlimited skips, and even download to listen offline. All great ways to help this podcast simply by shopping at Amazon. And now let's reset the clocks of this week's
1: Idiot
0: Idiot Extraordinaire! Oh, Saloon, you've done it again. What now? Yes, this week it goes to Salon.com. Before today, Salon and its writers have racked up four biggest bogon emitters, were Idiot Extraordinaire twice, and were 2015's Idiot of the Year. Well, check this out. After lots of cryptocurrency hating articles, Labeling Bitcoin as right-wing extremism, how it doesn't have a future, how it costs us our clean energy future, how it's flawed and easily hacked, it's only used by criminals, Bitcoin users are basically crazy, and the whole thing is a bubble, including credulously passing along Joseph Stiglitz's easily debunked bogosity about it. One time they even called it addictive. Now, visitors to Salon.com who run ad blockers have found themselves running crypto miners.
1: Mm. that's good hypocrisy right there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not that it's that bad an idea. Salon's blatant hypocrisy aside, it would be kind of cool to relieve users of advertising and just ask them to give up a few CPU clocks. You know, on the surface, that seems okay, but there are some problems here. See, in order to run this in the browser, it needs to run in JavaScript WHICH IS NOT A VERY EFFICIENT OR CPU-FRIENDLY LANGUAGE, AND USERS ARE REPORTING THAT THEIR PROCESSORS ARE BEING PINNED WHILE VISITING SALAM, JUST CRANKED UP TO 100% TO THE POINT WHERE IT LOCKS UP THE COMPUTER. Uh, Javascript is incredibly wasteful of system resources. And understand, it's not free to the user. They do pay for this. When your CPU uses more power, it uses more electrical power that you're billed for at the end of the month. And even in a best-case scenario, with people using efficient GPU miners or even ASICs, it's still the case that most people will pay more in the extra power bill than they'd get from generating the cryptocurrency. Unless you're lucky and live in some place with cheaper power, you're probably gonna pay more than you get. And CPU mining is hideously inefficient and power-hungry, and so it's a little wonder that the ad blockers have started blocking the crypto miners by default.
1: Oh, yeah. Salute to Salon. Thanks, Salon. Thank you for that.
0: Yeah, for doing this in such a ham-fisted way, and especially in light of their incredible hypocrisy in blasting cryptocurrency while trying to obtain some themselves, Salon just has to take one more Idiot, Idiot extraordinary. Extraordinary. Well, that wraps up this The All American Kid from New York City edition of the Bogosity Podcast. Come join the discussion at forum.bogosity.tv and feel free to send in a question, statement, news article, or rant in text or audio to podcast This podcast depends on you to keep going, so please donate using the links on the website or the QR codes in the thumbnail or support Shane DK on Patreon and Maker Support to get the podcast and YouTube videos early and without ads or promos. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Charles Thomas for joining me.
1: No problem. I just love uh, doing this because, hey, you know, it's better than me bitching about Roman Reigns or any pro wrestling thing. Uh, By the way, check out the Duke City Lounge if you want me to hear that. There's my plug for my little podcast. Too late. Too late. You can't edit this out because it's right near the end of the show, and you're probably too tired to do so. Ah, You know how it goes.
0: (laughs) Until next time, here's a quote from Thomas Jefferson to your request of my opinion of the manner in which a newspaper should be conducted so as to be most useful i should answer by restraining it to true facts and sound principles only yet i fear such a paper would find few subscribers the bogosity podcast is licensed under creative commons attribution on commercial Literatives 4.0 international license Want answers to creationist claims against evolution? Would you like to know more about evolution yourself, or even engage creationists more directly, with actual peer-reviewed sources to back you up? My book, How Evolution is Scientific, is designed to show the basics of evolutionary theory and how it is so well supported using the scientific method. It's impeccably sourced, with references to the actual scientific material, and is arranged using the creationist's own criteria of what is scientific using their own arguments against them, see how evolution is scientific but creationism is not, based on observations, accurate predictions, logic, and evidence. Get answers to common creationist claims, and even a primer on abiogenesis, the start of all life. It's all in my book, How Evolution is Scientific, available at Amazon and on Kindle, EPUB, and PDF as well. Get How Evolution is Scientific and never be taken in by creationists again.